0: opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. You are listening to 88.9 FM, KUCI, broadcasting live on the campus of UC Irvine since 1969. Good morning, all. You're listening to KUCI. 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is Claudia Shamba, your host on Ask a Leader. On this week's edition of Ask a Leader... Uh, with you every morning t- on Tuesdays from 9 to 10. Today we're going to check the pulse of health care reform with the infatigable activist, ER physician, Dr. Bill Hunigman, And then there's the other pulse, women in the American body politic. Uh, she's uh, We're going to have Lori Vandermeier with the California National Organization for Women, leading the OC chapter as their president here on the show in the second half. With Governor Brown's proposal to cut funding for the California Commission on the Status of Women, it's important that its role is known and well understood before we lose something special and valuable in this state. If we do lose this, and we've heard so much in the media, this uh, through this all uh, the conservative perspectives about issues affecting women, it's time some progressive voices receive more attention. We'll be back with you with Dr. Bill in just a short station break. Welcome back to Ask a Leader. We're going to speak this first half an hour with Dr. Bill Hanickman, a California state coordinator for the Progressive Democrats of America and presently the national health care issue of um organizing Team coordinator for a PDS. That's what the, uh, the shortening version of Progressive Democrats America. He's training. It's from Finch University of Health Science, Chicago Medical School in North Chicago. And since then, he's put on 30 years of ER physician work, 25 of them here in OC. Were you to see him here, you might recognize him from his many stints at major arterials in Orange County, where he beckons the public's attention to the crises of medical health care delivery. Fresh off the graveyard shift at the ER today, dear, Doctor. Dear Bill Huntingman joins us here in Studio A. Welcome to the show, Doctor Bill.
1: Oh, thank you, Claudia. Thanks for having me.
0: I'm so glad you came here today. From such, uh, you know, you said a lot of units of blood were moved last night on this shift, and lot was it busy.
1: Oh it was, uh really busy in fact uh you know if it's uh if we're not kept busy then uh they'll get rid of us so uh <laughs> we're we're uh nowadays ERs pretty much everywhere are are busy places
0: and that ties in with what you know and can tell us about the state of Healthcare in America and why you've decided to uh, make uh, PDA such a, a central part of your grassroots activism. Well, let's just generally first talk about the Progressive Democrats of America for those listeners who aren't familiar with the organization. It, some say that it PDA's progressive uh, disposition puts this organization more in touch with mainstream Democrats than the actual mainstream Democratic Party. What do you say to that, Bill?
1: Well they, that's right, Claudia. Uh you know, we I think it was Paul Wellstone who referred to the democratic wing of the Democratic Party. Yes, he did. You know, and that's uh that's us. We're the progressives and uh, uh and we're the we believe we're we're the ones in the Democratic Party uh who represent uh the interests that Paul Wellstone and Bobby Kennedy and people like that, uh, the the real progressives uh uh going back to JFK and FDR Um, you know, all the initials. And uh, uh, so uh, we came together in in 2004 after um, the primaries there where uh, uh, two great progressives, uh, Dennis Kucinich and Howard Dean, were uh, running in the primaries. And um, uh, John Kerry, of course, got nominated. A number of us uh, um, activists within the Democratic Party felt that uh, that John Kerry probably did not really represent our interests and so we decided to form a group uh, uh with those campaigns Kucinich and, and um Howard Dean's campaigns uh called Progressive Democrats of America PDA um and, and our mission really is to elect progressives uh to um uh local and regional and national office uh in in, in particular uh both inside Uh, and outside the Democratic Party, if we need to, uh, when we can't make progress within the party, uh, we'll work on it from the outside.
0: And is it not now the current director, Tim Carpenter, he's Orange County's favorite son of grassroots activists. That's right. For uh, over 20 or
1: 30 years, uh, he was active with the group Alliance for Survival. Uh, I I saw him on occasion even laying down in the driveway to block... uh, uh semis pulling into the Naval Weapons Depot in in Seal Beach and uh uh you know arrested countless times uh uh trying to do the right thing for for people in the area here so uh yeah Tim Carpenter lots of us know him uh, he's a wonderful person and and now lives on the east coast uh, so we all miss him uh, his presence here but you can certainly be involved he's he's an he's an email fiend so uh you can reach him by uh, emailing tim at at pdamerica.org that's pdamerica.org, uh, ProgressiveDemocratsAmerica.org. Uh, and um, uh, and Tim, you know, is uh, extremely responsive on all of our national conference calls and that kind of thing.
0: And that's, I'm glad you put that uh, in there. Everybody's welcome. I'm sure to plug their organizations, how people can get in touch with them. And we'll be sure to put in the podcast summary that contact information for listeners to uh, carry the torch along. There's a, there's a lot of torches well, um, so the Progressive Democrats of America started kicking into higher gear with the health care component around the uh, the year or two after its origination. And um, so with the idea of supporting single-payer um, health care and – that uh i guess the disposition here that is the or the refrain is that the cuts aren't necessary but there is available money to tax to set this off so i i i can't help but keep recalling a personal experience of a pediatrician i uh, was acquainted with 18 19 years ago who said he said just give me one entity to deal with i'll take single payer if you just Take all of that overhead and second guessing off my back. So, with the ER going on and stir that you're amidst, you're also amidst other medical uh, professionals, pr- pr- uh, medical organizations. What are their sentiments, Doctor Bill? Well,
1: it's interesting, Claudia. You know, uh, back in the '60s, when um, when in America we started our Medicare program, which is health care for uh, the elderly and um, uh, and uh, some disabled uh folks uh that um was you know immediately um uh, kind of red flags or resisted by uh by a whole lot of, of physicians in particular um they actually learned how to deal with medicare and uh and now i think uh, uh in fact, I know that when they survey physicians they find that actually a great majority of of all physicians are would be in favor of a Medicare for all type system. Medicare is what they refer to as single payer, um, where we all pitch in, uh, whether it's in a tax or some kind of premium, uh, and then uh, that money goes into a big pool that is then um, delivered to a physician's. Uh, doctors, nurses, and hospitals to uh, provide the care that, that we all need. So um, it's a way for us to collectively do what individually um, we either can't do or we do very inefficiently, and that's that's the current, you know, non-system that we have. Uh, we have all, an immense number of third payers that get in the way and actually ration the care, and, you know, it's really the insurance companies that are between you and your doctor uh, deciding what kind of care you can get, and and they're absolutely right. Uh, a doctor in say some kind of solo practice is spending upwards of uh, a quarter of their gross intake on uh, wow. claims on claims processing. Yeah, so uh, it's hugely inefficient. Uh, Medicare operates at about a two or three percent administrative cost, so uh, it it saves money, uh, it saves lives. We give everybody uh, coverage. And, and frankly, this is what they're doing in other countries, not just Canada. They're doing it in, you know, England, France, but also uh, countries you don't hear much about, like Taiwan and Japan and, you know, where they're living longer than we do. They
0: even a... Thailand, it transitioned. It tried our multi-care provider method, but it's now also in a single payer. That's right. It's evolved.
1: That's right. They, they outperform us. Uh, we're ranked 37th in the world uh, based on those indicators like longevity and infant mortality and uh and, and frankly they're saving a ton of money so they beat us uh, economically um when employers have to put up all this money to get their employees uh, insured, and then uh, also individuals have to, you know, pull out of their um, their monthly budget to pay these uh, exorbitant rates to uh, health insurance companies and also, also pharmaceutical companies. Our pharmaceutical companies are, you know, basically robber barons. They are, uh, they're stealing, I think it's in excess of, th- of four or five times the profits of the median Fortune 500 companies. In this country, so they are four or five times more profitable than the five hundred most profitable uh, companies in this country now, can amazing. we
0: can we check that out though so when we put that out there so we can do better than say a a, a conservative perspective that 's going to sort of be an incendiary voice about maintaining the status quo, how can we know that is the fact
1: well uh, you know we don 't have to look very far you okay. know we can look to those countries that that do have um, uh, active programs and with a single payer type system. Oh,
0: uh, Bill, what I mean is, how can we know that the, the big pharma is is that much more profitable that uh, uh, than the um, other. Comparable corporate entities.
1: Right. Uh, Actually, this is um, uh, at least the the discoverable information. Yes. Uh, And then, you know, who knows what they're holding from us. But um, uh, there's a very reputable uh, uh, information source uh, known as Physicians for a National Health Program, PNHP. Uh, you can go to pnhp.org. They invite you to use their uh, their uh, data and statistics. Um, they're actually based at the Harvard Medical College School of Public Health. So this is not a slouch organization. These are uh, academics, MD PhDs, who compile uh, the data. They st- do the studies, uh, and and they actually give this to the World Health Organization and you know other um, uh, groups around the world who study these things, and you know in terms of how well or, or not we're uh, performing uh, as a country to take care of our uh, our own people and and in, uh, in healthcare, and uh, and you know these are facts and figures. They're all scientific. Uh, uh, you know, have, have footnoted uh, tables and graphs. Um, that they welcome you to have a look at, and and so that's just uh, one of the things. And you know, is um, pharmaceuticals and how expensive they are. I could give you a practical uh, scenario, and uh, which is very interesting. Um, you know, just from a very kind of down to earth point of view. Uh, you or I, we walk into uh, um, say a you know a, a big name um, uh, pharmacy and uh, try to buy a bottle of Tylenol. You know, uh, you might buy, uh, say, or uh, you know, acetaminophen. Sorry, I didn't mean to plug the. Ooh, uh, the that's right. Yeah, it's sort base. of like the Kleenex, uh, <laughs> right. generic. Not that's right. So you so you go to buy a, a bottle, of, let's say generic acetaminophen, even a big bottle, five hundred milligrams. You know, say a hundred tablets, uh, might cost you say ten or twelve bucks. You know, for the generic acetaminophen, right at a big name uh, pharmacy. So then then you decide, well, I can do better than that. You know, over at uh, one of the big box stores where I have a membership, right. Uh, to remain nameless, but, right. uh, but uh, we but got any, the idea. Yeah, we the got the idea. Plan. So, uh, so you go in and you buy a giant box of, uh, of the generic Cetaminophen, and it costs you about five bucks a bottle instead of the 12 that you would pay at the big name pharmacy. Okay, Um, if you go into a large health provider group like uh, the one I work for, again, I'm not plugging them. um, And we can actually, because we're a large group, uh, we can actually bargain with the brand name uh, pharmaceutical companies and give you that same bottle of, you know, generic uh, acetaminophen for under a dollar where you would pay $12. At your
0: your hospital facility?
1: Yep. So that's because we're a big group and we can we can collectively bargain basically we can bargain to uh, reduce the cost down to what actually the the medicine actually costs to produce so uh, that markup is just phenomenal i think phenomenal and we can all you know't understand that concept okay By the be, time, before
0: yeah. we go in because I, I I want to mind that very very aspect here in mm-hmm. as much detail as we can this morning for those listeners who've just joined us, my guest is dr. Bill Hunigman, emergency physician. Fishin- physician in Orange County, and healthcare activist with the Progressive Democrats of America, uh, often called uh, PDA, here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, streaming to you live at KUCI.org. So, Bill, Dr. Bill is talking about the collective bargaining potential of any entity we're working from big, away from the conventional pharmacy where we get many of our medications, where then we have the collective bargaining potential of a a big box, uh, all all retail entity, and then we get to where Dr. Bill practices his ER medicine, um, uh, we're working from a, t- a $10 down to a $3 to a dollar and a half or less uh, price on 100 uh, cab, tabs of uh, acetaminophen. So that collective bargaining, that is what would drive the single payer plan to an efficiency which none of us can even dream of.
1: That's right. <clears throat> That's right, Claudia. And and um in fact in every aspect of medicine in this country, uh the the services, goods and services are actually, you know, um uh falsely the the prices are uh you know Sky high. They're made. They're, uh, we're talking about monopoly capitalism here. We're talking about a very small group of people who can control and fix prices, uh, so that that healthcare in this country is extremely expensive. We're paying. We're spending twice as much as uh, all the other industrialized countries uh, on our health care. And for that, we only rank 37th in the world in terms of performance. So, that you know, that's that's pitiful. That is uh, – it's resulting in um, uh, unnecessary deaths and disability in this country, a, a workforce that's crippled by uh, by illness. And, and, you know, we should be promoting wellness uh, and health uh, rather than uh, just reactionary uh, sickness care.
0: Yeah, it's interesting yeah. how – from the conservative perspective, early intervention, early uh, preventative sort of health care is considered a uh, paternalistic uh, reach into one's civil liberties to kill themselves from uh, bad uh, habits. That's right. And, it, it you know,
1: it's always used as an excuse. Oh, we have too many people who just have, you know, poor lifestyles and that's their choice and they're free to do that. Well, you know that that's fine, but the rest of us are paying for it. So, you know, uh, George W. Bush not not a big fan of the guy, but his his answer to the the healthcare crisis in America was to uh, was for people. You know, he said if you can't see a doctor, go to emergency, and that's just completely wrong. I mean, that's just the opposite of what we want to do. So that's. You know, the, his so legacy is living on now by our overcrowded emergency rooms. Although and,
0: you just said you have a stake in keeping those busy, but you have a, the bigger picture in mind, than in terms of delivering a more efficient, a more humane healthcare system in this right. country.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm I'm worried because if my emergency room is filled up with, you know, with people who. Should have gone to see a, a regular doctor, and you know, and then the ones who you know are having some uh, huge trauma, some huge uh, crisis, uh, you know, a trauma, a heart attack, something like that, a stroke. Uh, they might not be recognized because you know my ER is so filled with people with you know, say, a dental infection that that got so bad they couldn't wait anymore. So you know, we need to take care of things uh, at the level where we can actually make a difference. You know, catch them early. Uh, keep people active and, and healthy and, you know, in the workforce. Um, and, uh, and you know, like I said, other countries have figured that out, and, and we're woefully behind. I just heard a quote recently from JFK, uh, John, John F. Kennedy, who said the same thing. He said we're woefully behind uh, the progr- progress they've made in other countries, you know, around the world. Uh, you know, and here we are 40 years later, and we're really – only, only worse off.
0: Oh, fifty, even. It's taken yeah. us fifty years to oh, go uh, oh. to go this far backward. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. Determined. Well, uh, this this is a, a mind opener, and I mean, and you, can you give us maybe a, um, let's personalize a situation where maybe you saw a abscessed bunch of teeth, or something, and uh oh, somebody's got a gunshot wound, or come back from a traffic accident, or something. Is, mm-hmm. is there? Can you give us some, maybe an example of how, it, it, the triage didn't quite. Uh, work out the way it could have because of of what you're doing in, uh inappropriately in er well i you know I, I um it's probably so in in the moment yeah. doing the triage how would you know this happened over here in this bed and this other bed is what should have been taken care of but That's maybe right. maybe you have a handy uh, or for uh, another interview you have a handy yeah like some donald, kind of
1: like donald rumsfeld used to say there's the knowns and the you know the known knowns and the unknown knowns and
0: <laughs> right, right, right. All of that, no doubt. So, really,
1: it's the ones we don't know about, but we know that uh, our room, our emergency rooms, you know, the wait times are, you know, much too long. Oh, we all know we're that. Fill with, yeah, fill with a whole bunch of things that that should have been taken care of earlier. And you know, like I said, I mean, the, this dental case is is one of the, you know, things uh, I see commonly. And um, uh, and in other you know countries, they're taking care of their people. Uh, you know, just like we're we're proud of the work that. Uh, uh, our police do and and fire companies uh we should have the same kind of uh, pride and respect for healthcare in, in America. Uh it's a it's a human need. Uh healthcare is a human need and just like um uh, you know, uh, Benjamin Franklin, the other founders of this country, uh, figured out that, you know, when it's a human need, then that means it should be a human right. And we can all take care. Of it. You know, rights are not free. We have to pay for them. Uh, so we we do pay for them. We pay taxes and then we get those services. And that should be the case with health care as well, uh, that we all pay in and we all get the health care that we need. And, and you know, it can be done. It actually saves money and saves lives. Uh, you probably are aware that um, the little state of Vermont is uh, moving ahead with a single-payer type system. Um, they have only half a million in their population, right? So it's pretty pretty darn small, I think the size of two Irvines. And I think it be? also
0: helps it's one of the more homogeneous uh, demographics in the country, and there's nothing, more, uh, nothing easier to sell than a, a redistributing income where you're, you're – uh, redistributing to somebody that's a lot like you
1: <laughs> well I suppose but uh, but people are people so you know they've got they've got a population they've got a political situation that's kind of a perfect storm for it with you know people like Bernie Sanders and Howard Dean and you know they elected a guy named Peter uh, Shumlin who's the um, uh, the governor uh, who ran on the issue of uh, health care for all in, in Vermont um, they're projecting saving half a billion dollars a year um, saving Half a billion dollars a year. A billion. Half a billion. That's a b word in Vermont. Uh huh. Oh for half a million, for half a million people. So you know, in California, we have thirty million. We would stand to save thirty billion a year.
0: Really? Where do you get that number from?
1: You save that kind of money. Uh, well, I, I would invite you to you know again, uh, uh, pHP the, They have that. Too. Oh wow. Yeah. PN- uh, Physicians for National Health Program um, would have all that information there for you. But it, it, the fact is, it saves that kind of money. Right now, about a third of every healthcare dollar is wasted on claims processing, administrative pay, CEO pay, um, uh, advertising, um, pharmaceutical profits. These things are they're wastes. It, it's just it's just thrown away. So, you know, I I can tell you I work in a hospital here in in Irvine, nice big chunk of cement off the 405 freeway, uh, pretty new place, cost $1 billion to build. Wow. A billion dollars to build one hospital. I mean, that's just one hospital. So you, you know, magnify that by all the hospitals uh, in California, all the hospitals in the country, all the work that's done by doctors, nurses, therapists of, of all kinds, pharmac- uh, pharmacists, and, and, uh, and, and that you take that amount of money. I mean, for California, it's about $200 billion a year that we already spend on healthcare. care. And billion. take a third of that sixty billion dollars and throw it away. Throw it in the pockets of some you know, somebody who's uh uh you know, put it in pro- a super pack. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> they are. That's they're, why they're doing they're it. They're spending it on lobbyists and you know, and keeping the system the way it is, the status quo, and you can bet they are benefiting the one percent, not not no, us, not true. the ninety nine percent.
0: For those of you who joined us here uh, in this part of the show, we're talking with Dr. Bill Hunnigman, emergency physician here in Orange County, and a healthcare activist with Progressive Democrats of America. Well, I um, we don't have a whole lot of other time left, but I, I, uh, you were talking about where we're going to save the money in California referring us back to the pnhp.org out of harvard um uh, website that for people to fact check everything you're saying because i i think the name of the game is well we're we're trying to educate everybody we're trying to all become more literate that we know we have reliable sources to go to because all this uh this debate that's rolling out now, I think uh, with the presidential primary and, uh, amidst Republican candidates, I think we're getting further and further from real fluency of public policy. And, I, I mean, I I can't believe the kind of retrograde um, dis- debate topics that are uh, – or how the debates are, are evolving now. So um, it's I'm so glad that you had that particular website, and we'll be sure that's incorporated, too, in the podcast summary. Okay. So, um, well, I want – um, as you're talking about what PDA is doing now, there's PDA's got uh, all sorts of not only in healthcare are there 360 degree uh, directions to go into because you've seen uh, how the Affordable Healthcare Act is being codified and how every single bit of turf is being questioned in terms of birth control and I mean probably things that you thought weren't even going to be an issue became an issue and were hard fought, making Obama use all kinds of political capital to defend those things and lose ground on some of those things. So, um, you know, is there a particular part of the Affordable Health Care Act that you think needs to get a little bit of attention in our uh, conversation this morning?
1: Oh, absolutely, uh, Claudia. In fact, um, I like to tell people that the um, um, ACA, Affordable Care Act, or uh, PPACA, Uh, Patient Protection Affordable Care Act, um, was a little bit of the social justice without very much of the economic justice that we need to to actually reform health care in America. Um, uh, President Obama and his leadership got, for example, um, young people kept on their family plan until they're 26 years old. Um, He got it so that uh, insurance companies uh, could not exclude people based on pre-existing conditions. Um, These are wonderful things that, you know, is definitely progress, although it's very incremental, very small amount of progress, just baby steps. Um, And you know, as Dr. King said, uh, it's all about the fierce urgency of now. When you're dealing with a crisis, we need big change. So we need to uh, be the support behind Barack Obama to go the next step on these things. And, and it's, you're absolutely right. Uh, they will try to undermine, uh, every little bit of progress that we make. Um, but we need to, you know, if, if we're including more people on insurance plans, uh, you know, yet we still keep the insurance companies in the equation, uh, what's going to be their response. They're just going to raise their rates. So there needs to be rate control, uh, significant rate control. Uh, some countries uh, around the world have actually uh, mandated by law that that insurance companies are only allowed to make so much profit. Uh, that would be progress. Oh, in, that in horse country.
0: is so out of the barn here. That's right. Think. That's right. But we, I think that collective bargaining—not uh, analogy, but that that plan, that approach. I don't think enough is understood about that. But people know what collective bark Well, I guess it's been given uh, in Wisconsin and everywhere else a pretty big black eye. But the idea that leverage comes with the larger group negotiating with whatever entity would describe. So, if we put everybody in as large larger group than the seniors and uh, disabled people receiving Medicare, we 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 call it all.
1: That's right. And, you know, what it's going to take in this country is, you know, at least a cultural revolution. You know, definitely a change in mindset, a paradigm shift so that the people rise up and say, we're not going to take this anymore. We've been had, you know, the only thing I like less than paying taxes is being made a fool. And we're being made fools, uh, allowing insurance companies and pharmaceutical companies just pull money right out of our wallets. Like we don't even understand the currency. We're just holding out a wad of cash and saying, here, take whatever you want. You know, we need to wise up in this country we need to start supporting real progressive change uh like a single-payer system uh and you know so that the next time this comes up for negotiation in congress or in sacramento uh, we've got the people on our side there's two things that motivate people and motivate politicians in in uh in politics that's the people and money right so votes and money some people say money equals votes it doesn't have to be that way, and that's if the people get smart. We all get out there. We preach to the choir about this, so that the choir all sings on the same well, let's key. Pi-
0: yes. Well, let's pivot now to, away from the choir and to those students that might be listening uh, this morning here. How they can uh, now? There's there's a leadership conference that PDA uh, is hosting in uh, Winslow, Arizona. For I think it's a national uh, organization, but. Uh, if you just would like to make a pitch to students about what Progressive Democrats for America has going for them in terms of what what how they could get started with some feeling like they can do something contribute something
1: by all means if if any of this uh, kind of you know reaches into your heart and soul uh, join us uh, go to our website uh, pdamerica.org, dot org pd as in Progressive Democrat America dot org and uh, and click on where it says issues. And go to healthcare. And uh, I am the co-coordinator of our issue organizing team on healthcare. Um, you'll see my contact information there. We have national conference calls that everyone's invited to join us. Um, tonight is our uh, monthly call. In fact, uh, this is uh, uh, Tuesday, uh, and. Um, what is this? The twenty first, right? It's the twenty first, <laughs> Tuesday the twenty first. You started work on the twentieth, and you That's got right. off on the twenty first. That's right. So, uh, so we had to make the transition in the middle of the night. Right. Uh, so, anyhow, but uh, they
0: she- can get in touch. They can find that conference call contact point on the pdamerica.org website, and they can listen in and see. I mean, there's nothing more. It's sort of like you learn so much from showing up at a meeting. I'm sure you can learn as much at a. At a teleconference.
1: That's right. Listen in. uh, Join us. Uh, You're welcome to ask questions uh, in the conference call. Um, You know, it's not so huge that that you wouldn't be heard and, you know, introduce yourself, say who you are uh, and join us. Join us in in the whole fight for social and economic justice uh, in healthcare, uh, amongst other things. Uh, We have other terrific issues groups, too, like ending the wars and occupation, stopping global warming, uh, uh, ending corporate rule and corporate personhood. Uh, and, and folks can find all that on our website, pdamerica.org.
0: So helplessness no longer should be a feeling that there's place, ways to plug in and be a, a force to be reckoned with. Well, Dr. Bill Hunigman, I really appreciate your uh, spending time with us when you would love to recreate or, uh, and restore after, yeah, uh, a, a a full shift. And you started at around 10 or when, when did I start?
1: When, what was that? About 8.30. 8.30 and Indiana ended and at hour. around 6, yeah, 6.30. So, definitely uh, past my bedtime. So.
0: so anyway, we're we're really privileged to have you come here and talk about what's going on with PD, uh, Progressive Democrats of America. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Claudia. It's great to have you. Uh, what we're going to do, um, stay tuned with me. We're going to have uh, Lori Vandermeier with the uh, local National Organization of Women chapter talking about the status um, the of the Commission on the State of Women of California, we'll be back in just a bit, but we'll uh, we'll take a little station break now and uh, have a we'll have a listen with um, a little bit of the uh, well, it's one of my favorite themes. So let's let her let's let her go here. Thank you for joining us here back with Ask a Leader. And we are going to now uh, bring on my second guest on Ask a Leader. The um, Lori Vandermeier was previously trained in computer applications, and uh, she has a Master's of Education, too. She's taught computer science uh, at the University of Maryland. She's ran a successful technical writing company with her husband before moving into the political arena a decade ago. So note, everybody, we all reinvent ourselves into politically very active roles. And here, Lori Vandermeier's yet another example. So she's taken her computer skills and her writing background and developed websites and communication strategies for numerous local, state, and federal campaigns, including uh, the 2010 uh, congressional campaign for uh, Beth Crom, our uh, local uh, Democratic candidate here in Orange County, here in Irvine. Uh, Lori Vandermeyer currently serves as the California Communications Director for the National Organization for Women and the local president of the Orange County Chapter of NOW. Welcome to the show, Lori.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: I'm glad you were available. Uh, We're talking about um, the urgency that's come up with the fact that Governor Brown's proposing to cut the funding for the California Commission uh, of the Status of Women. It's important uh, that we talk about its role today, that we understand what this is doing, because we don't want to lose something special, and uh, we're getting a deal with all the talent that's been leveraged to date with all of the, the board members and the uh, the women contributing to this. Tell us, Lori Vandermeier, what uh, we need to know about the California uh, Commission for the Status of Women.
2: Great. Well, it was created... Um Ironically, by the current governor's father, Pat Brown, back in 1965, and he brought it into the state government, and its job was to hold hearings throughout the state to receive testimony from women throughout all communities discussing issues that impacted them. And then whether it be um, health care, transportation, jobs, education, etc., they would compile that testimony and report it back Um, to the legislature and to the governor, basically giving them a report on the status of women within California. And then they were also tasked um, to analyze proposed legislation um, as to its impact on women and girls and then report that back to the governor and the legislature so that no bill would be passed that discriminates. And unfortunately, once the economy started its downturn, funding to the commission kind of kept getting cut and cut and of course, that impacted its work. They couldn't do as much traveling and as much um, hold as many hearings. And now, what the governor has done is ask that it be eliminated. The problem we have with that: um, the governor has said that outside agencies, kind of like who I work for, California Now, could do the analysis and just report to him our findings, and that they would still not discriminate based on what we tell them. And our pro- our problem or our worry about that is we're obviously seen as biased. We're a very progressive women's organization. So when we tell the governor, hey, this is impacting women negatively, there, there's a bias seen to that, whereas a group that's inside the state government doing it as an on a nonpartisan level, they're seen as trusted. Whatever they tell the legislature is, you know, is factual. There's no bias involved in it, and that's our worry that once it's, Up to nonprofits and outside agencies, that it won't be taken as seriously and followed.
0: Amen. That's um, a concern. And so, what we want to do um, talk about that there is an opportunity to bring attention to this with a very special event. It's going to be uh, hosted tomorrow with the um, at the um, in in Newport Beach. I had it up here. I've got. Oh, here we go. We have a fundraiser tomorrow. Uh, It will be at. It'll start at 5:30 at the Newport Beach Fairmont Hotel at 4500 MacArthur Boulevard, and there are going to be. It's going to be like an A list of people, including Orange County Sheriff Sandra Hutchins. She's on the latest of the latest of the bills. So, uh, tell us. um, So, tell us all about the women that are coming and what's the program going to be like at tomorrow's fundraiser.
2: Well, we're hosting it specifically in Orange County. California now decided to host this event specifically here in Orange County um, to send a powerful message to Sacramento that women across this state, even in what's considered conservative Orange County, um, care deeply about gender equity. And we've got, as you mentioned, actress Gina Davis is coming. And the, the reason she's coming, some people don't connect her with the commission. She's actually one of the commissioners. She also um, significantly played the first female president on a TV show a couple years ago called Commander in Chief, and she has um, she actually heads her own nonprofit organization that raises awareness about gender in the media. And she so, was here.
0: She was here on campus about was it two and a half months ago, and and uh, we we we'll, we'll fleetingly mention the the television appearance. It's really she does she carries a whole lot of water, so we can really uh, em- emphasize that aspect of her, um, you know her. In, in, involvement and her commitment
2: definitely definitely we also have the president of the US National Committee on UN women um, Maggie Forster Schmidt she's going to be speaking about gender equity globally and how so many other countries are, um, ha- are have already passed CEDAW the Commission to Eliminate um, discrimination against women and how what we're trying to do with California now and with groups like the commission, is implement that, at least here in California, even though the United States has not implemented it, that we definitely need to work towards gender equity. Also, Linda and Loretta Sanchez, um, the congresswomen, um, are coming. The Senate Majority Leader Ellen Corbett is coming, and Secretary of State Deborah Bowen is coming. And, of course, my boss, Patty Belisama, who's the president of California now, she'll be there as well. So it should be a great evening, Um, everyone talking about how important gender equity is. And when you look at the statistics, you know, sometimes people here in California, they think that everything's fine here, you know, that women have um, equality. But um, the statistics prove that that's not true. Um, Women in California, um, even though we're 50.3% of the state's population, only 28% of our legislators are women. Um, We only have... Um, And there's nine current female legislators in Sacramento who are being termed out this time, so we're going to lose even more. So it's just so important that we continue. Women in California still only make 84 cents on the dollar for every um, job they do comparable to a man. African-American women only earn 68 cents, and Latinas earn 59 cents. So there's still so much work to do.
0: That I mean, that just that that's still going on to that extent is um, it's it's amazing. It's not going to be awake when people get together. So um, tell us about the the funding. Is this um is this a a done deal, or is it a matter? It's it was thrown in there uh, to leverage some kind of a, a response uh, from constituents to to make sure that the um, funding was maintained in the budget.
2: You know, the governor proposed it. It's not a done deal yet. He proposed it, and I believe he – I don't want to misspeak – I believe he told the commission that they needed to do some private fundraising to kind of show that um, women across the state still felt they were viable and still – that the commission was still viable and that they needed to stay in place, and so that's where California now jumped in and said we have to host something for this. We have to spotlight the attention and let people know. I think a lot of young women, especially on campuses and things, um, believe that there may not be a need for the commission's work anymore. Oh, we've already reached um, gender equity. Everything is a level playing field, when in fact it really isn't, and especially with the budget cuts, They've disproportionately affected women and children. And so um, if we do nothing else with the fundraiser but draw attention to that fact and show that there's still so much work to do, then I feel like it'll be successful.
0: Well, uh, for those who want to know more about how to get there, uh, how to um, make sure they uh, they either, well, connected whether they appear there or whether there's other ways they can support they can reach melahat Rafi. rafi um, mm-hmm. they can call her at 949 350 7733 and she is also uh, Melhat, melahat m e l a h a t at c-a-n-o-w Uh you can find out more about that you can also just look up the uh, California Commission on the Status of Women and it'll have the event posted there with all kinds of details now I have to ask for somebody who can't quite part with the $125 at the uh, ground floor contribution level uh, are you turning away people who just who want to uh, be there to uh, be supporting and uh, network there um, can they possibly uh, contribute something less than that just to make sure, though, they get there? What, what's the position for uh, now with that?
2: Um, you know what? They would need to contact Melahut. She's okay. the fundraiser for this particular event. Okay. So I really can't speak to that if they call her and connect with her. She could make that
0: decision. Okay. I don't want to uh, dwell on that point, but I just – for some people who think that uh, it's maybe not what they were expecting in terms of funders, but the the point is to raise funds so that this uh, institution remains intact uh, during these uh, really sorry, sorry fiscal times. That um, uh, We, we want to make sure everybody has a chance to, to network because I, I, I just keep noticing that every time I show up at something like this, I learn a ton. I – I learned things I wasn't even finding out. And so so <laughs> yeah. uh, that's, uh, you know, what the women have to say. They're women in true positions of real power in various uh forms um you know they're extremely accessible they're uh, affable they're uh, they want to hear your ideas they w- you want to hear their ideas so it's it's these kinds of um, forums are a very special networking so i, I can't say enough about our uh, all of our chances uh to to get to take away a great deal uh from attending tomorrow's uh, uh event um so what one thing i want to do is because We've uh, women, the status women's taken a real drubbing with the Republican presidential primary season. We're hearing things that I I can't imagine we're hearing in 2012. So uh, I'm sure um, you have something to say. And when are we going to start getting some kind of counterbalancing of uh, the policy uh, position statements on the status of women?
2: No, I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, I don't know if you watched last week. I sat there just thinking what a surreal image it was at a congressional hearing in the year 2012.
0: Yes, let's talk about that. that.
2: All men were sitting there discussing birth control, menstrual pain, ovarian cancer, and migraine headaches. And this was done by an Orange County um, congressional member, Daryl Issa. I live in Ladera Ranch. He's my congressman now. And he had convened a panel where he would not allow a single woman to speak on birth control and and um, they were opposing obama's the obama administration's birth control rule that, that employers needed to um,
0: provide all to, possibilities yes,
2: yes yes, and I mean it was just amazing to watch that and i mean i don't know if you're if the listeners are paying attention, but Um, State after state are restricting, um, ever since the 2010 election, more conservatives um, got into power. Democrats did not come to the polls, and more and more um, Republicans were um, elected. And, I mean, just last week in the Virginia state legislature, they passed two really restrictive anti-abortion bills, including one that said the minute a sperm and egg unite, that's a person, and you cannot kill that person. The other one requires that if you are having any abortion, that you have a um, transvaginal ultrasound before undergoing any abortion. So, in other words, if you are four weeks along, you're having that transvaginal ultrasound, which is just amazing and intrusive.
0: So that, in and, terms of a... a um... Well, I guess that we were talking about the efficiency of health care with Dr. Bill Hunigman, the efficiency of dissuading someone from exercising a reproductive right by putting that medical procedure on there. I guess that's part of it. It's a big, another aspect of inefficiency.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And and it's, and it, it's often, you know, more of a, um, we found on Cal State Fullerton campus, there was one of these. Called birth choices mobile unit, and they were saying they were helping um, students with um, STD prevention or something. But actually, they were doing sonograms. And so, if a student came in and they wanted birth control or or were worried about abortion or something like that, they were doing sonograms and then saying, "You know, this is your this is your baby. This is your." You know, and and it's very coercive now. And and, I mean, like I said, I mean, it all started with birth control that we were talking about. Right at the hearing, 2012, when 98% of Catholic women have used some sort of birth control, that men are saying women cannot have access to birth control. You know, it feels like it's 1912, not
0: 2012. A a capital P on paternalism here, sort of doing the inverse with what choice looks like. Uh, You know, it's the, the offering lots of. Of uh, opportun- offering lots of choices to exercise in reproductive rights is turned inside out. Saying it's imposing, <laughs> it's Absolutely, imposing yeah. a, a view of what reproductive uh, course to take. It's a, uh, it's, it's. Twisted. So I um, want to let you uh, listeners who've just tuned in, uh, we are talking with Lori Vandermeier, the California Commis- Communications Director for the National Organization of Women, and she's also the local president of the Orange County Chapter of Now. She is the constituent of Daryl Issa, con- Congressman, who's decided what kinds of um, people are most. Uh, qualified to talk about women's reproductive health choices <laughs> in a national forum, so it, that, that's most unfortunate. Well, thank you um, uh, we're, uh, for coming today. We're uh, we're going to we're we're talking about the co- the commission of California, California's commission on the status of women, and we're talking now about the status of women uh, amidst this primary season, uh, the presidential primary season, vetting uh, Republican candidates who uh, I don't think. I don't know. I think the only candidate is Ron Paul, who, with his libertarian view, is uh, talking about um, reproductive choices, otherwise um, that we're not hearing any kind of uh, 12... 2012 kind of perspective on on
2: well actually actually Ron Paul has said it's on his presidential website that one of his first moves is to try to repeal Roe v Wade and push for legislation that defines life as beginning the moment of conception.
0: Well then, is so that, he's
2: not on board either. That's you
0: know? a, then there's a wrinkle with his libertarianism then. So yeah, I, I, that,
2: that's what I never understand. These people who talk about no government and then they definitely want to govern, you know, every woman's uterus, you know. So.
0: So it's uh, it's going to be uh, good to hear um, not just Kathleen try, uh back-paddling uh, in her codifying rules in the Affordable Health Care Act, but hearing more uh, political leaders stepping up to this discussion about what, in fact, is a matter of offering the choices and not... Uh, Turning this and qualifying this as an imposition of um, of public policy. Well, Laurie, did you have anything in particular? Let's let's turn our attention to the UCI female students here and having them consider the importance of the work their forebears have done for them. How how can they benefit from um, contacting uh, now um, uh, affiliates for them to feel like that? They're, they're maintaining uh, what has been worked hard for them and to try to add back to that what's been lost.
2: I just think they need to understand that we're headed down a very dangerous path and that the 2012 election is how we stop it once and for all. I think that especially young women should be at the polls um, making sure that their voices are heard in 2012 and um, saying that we are not going to let men control our bodies, our um, our paychecks, and we're going to demand um, equality. And by doing that, we make sure that we understand who it is we're voting for. And, you know, just because someone has an R or a D next to their name, you know, really pay attention and really inform yourself as to what that person believes and how they voted, and do they really speak for you and um, what, what your moral beliefs are and, you know, what you want America to look like. And, I mean like you said at the beginning, you know, it's very scary, the presidential candidates and what they're allowed to say. I mean, I can't believe that in 2012, it's actually applauded to hear some presidential candidate um, bash same-sex couples. I mean, that's really not where our country is, and I don't think very many people on your campus um, would go along with that or believe that, and yet they might very well on election day vote for someone who's been talking about that and drawing applause from things that just take us backward as a country, not forward. And so I would hope that they would educate themselves on um, voting for the person or um, people who move our country forward.
0: Well, I would um, like to uh, close our interview today with uh, that um Important refrain, we're going to make sure that everybody knows how they're going to vote this year, how, how to vote, not how they're going to vote, that how to vote, we're going to give them lots of information uh, leading up to the primary all the way to the general uh, on my show, I'm sure, and other hosts are going to be doing that. And, um, and I think it can start with... Uh, Checking out, networking with those illustrious women that are going to be meeting tomorrow at the fundraiser. Let's see, the name of the fundraiser, it's called, uh, the. it's an event featuring, uh, I, what is the name of the fundraiser? Well, Help Save the California Commission on the Status of Women?
2: Well, it's in support of the Commission on the oh, Status of Women. I'm
0: yeah. just noticing there. I don't see that. And,
2: and, and. Talking mainly about gender equity and oh. how important gender equity is. So it's really in support of gender equity. D-
0: not one little tidy uh, title, but it's. it's no, it's, I'm sorry. It's a big, that's a fine. Title. No, that's fine. And as but, a
2: communications person, I should have thought of that. Sorry.
0: Well, no, we, we're all. Everything's a formative piece here. So uh, anyway, I want to, uh, to quickly close and thank you, Lori Vandermeier, for being on the show today. Good luck with the event tomorrow. And, uh, and you uh, have more to say with other events? and more electoral politics later on in this season. I hope you'll come back on the show.
2: Great, I sure will. Well, thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks a lot. Take care. Good luck. So what we're going to do now is close the show because George Rosales, he gets at 10 o'clock to himself. So uh, I just want to um, thank you all for joining me this morning. Uh, I, my thought was that we might be able to pay for this line item in the budget if we just camp somebody out right there, Um at outside the Kodak Theater on Sunday and just had everybody if they, if they had carried their purses they could just write a check and settle this uh, item that would be the private money but we'll, that's just my dream anyway so uh, we'll, we'll be back next week with more uh, content I think worth listening to and then we'll, meanwhile we're going to make sure George Rosales gets his due with the, the next um, program today take care all thanks for joining me